This is the Christian Circle Podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Welcome to a new episode of the Christian Circle Podcast and today we have a new guest. We have Mr. Dennis Souza and he's going to be talking to us about the first commandment. So this year we're looking forward to doing the Ten Commandments and hopefully we will be able to continue each of them through the months ahead. But for this first uh, commandment, we have Dennis who's going to talk to us about this since he put out a video on this exact same theme and you can see him on YouTube online. So Dennis, tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry. Sure. Thanks so much, Pamela. And it's great to be on with you and thank you for having me. Now, like you said, my name is Dennis Souza. I've been married to my wife, Jennifer, for uh, 20 years. We have one daughter. Her name is Grace. She's 18 years old, and she'll be heading off to college this upcoming fall. I hold a master's degree in theology from Providence College, and I've been uh, the director of faith formation for St. Philip Church, which is a Roman Catholic parish in Greenville, Rhode Island, for the last 10 years. And here I'm responsible for all the faith formation from the little ones of our parish all the way to the adults. So I do things like uh, baptismal prep, uh, RCIA, you know, and faith formation, regular faith formation for uh, um, the children and young people. So you put out a video on uh, YouTube, and I think that was related to your work uh, about the first commandment. So just to go down back to basics, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, um, what exactly is the first commandment? And is it something that God is laying down himself or is this like an invention that people, you know, some people will claim all oh, these amendments. So just give us some context about what the first commandment is. Sure. Um, so according to sacred scripture, the first commandment is, I am the Lord, your God. You shall have no strange gods before me. And so by the first commandment, we're commanded to offer to God, to God alone, supreme worship. And, you know, for Catholics, we do this by practicing our Catholic faith which simply means living out the Ten Commandments, living out the five precepts of the church, making acts of faith, hope, and love, as well as by adoring God and praying. Now, to answer your question about whether God reveals this to us or whether it's an invention, you know, say by men or the church, I think this is a really important question because I don't think one really needs to be a detective to see that we've had a huge loss of supernatural faith today. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking here simply of you know, our secular culture, but actually the loss of supernatural faith of those in the church. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've definitely become infected by the spirit of modernism, which Pope Pius X warned us about back in the early 1900s. Um, he had called it the synthesis of all heresies. You know, unfortunately, we didn't listen to his warnings. And so the commandments, they're not man-made. It's not a man-made invention, you know, as some people claim. But rather, it's God who's revealed the commandments to us. And so according to the dogmatic constitution on divine revelation, you know, it says that sacred scripture is divinely revealed truths that have been committed to writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so the church teaches that the books of both the Old and the New Testaments in their entirety, so all 73 of them um, that we believe as Catholic, they're sacred and they're canonical because they're written by men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so God, who acted in through these men, communicated everything in only the things that he wanted. Okay, so then finally, to answer your question, 
on the context in which God reveals the commandments. You know, he does this in the context of a, a relationship, you know, that of a love relationship with his chosen people, the Israelites. And so we see in the book of Exodus, uh, God having just delivered the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, where they'd been slaves for 400 years. And he did this with miraculous signs and wonders. You know, for three months, God had been leading the Israelites through the desert, nurturing them, you know, miraculously feeding them and giving them drink. And then finally, after several months of traveling through the desert, they arrive at Mount Sinai. And so scripture tells us that the Lord called to Moses from the mountain. And so then we see Moses go up to speak with God. And he says to him, you know, God says to him, go tell the sons of Israel what I did to the Egyptians. You know, they seen what I did and how I bore them on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now, if you only obey my voice and keep my covenant, you're going to be my own possession among all people. And so we see God establishing a covenant with Israel. And just in, like in any relationship, there are both rights and responsibilities or duties that govern the relationship. And so laws, the laws that God gives us are not only for our own protection, but also so that we can fully thrive, you know, that we can become who God created us to be, which is holy. So this is the context that God uh, reveals the commandments to us. And just quickly, we need to keep in mind that God commands us the same way that a loving father does, right? And this fact really hits home for me personally, because I think back to when my daughter first started to walk. And at the time, we lived on a really busy road where, you know, cars would fly up and down our road. And so one day when we were outside, she made a beeline for the road. And now I had commanded her to stay away from the road, not because I wanted to infringe on her freedom, but because I loved her and I wanted to protect her. You know, I wanted to keep her safe. I wanted to train her, you know, how to use her freedom properly. And so this is why God gives us the commandments to live by. And this is why the first commandment deals with our relationship with him and our worship with him because it sets everything else in our life in its proper order. And it's, it's kind of good you mentioned it because uh, a lot of people are quite against uh, following any of the commandments because they feel that this is so restrictive. It is so uh, obstructive in, in many ways. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it's really, you know, it's one of those things. And I think, you know, part of that is obviously human nature, but I think also it's a, a really a reflection of where we are in society today. And I think that if we can change the way that, we look at what God reveals to us and why he does what he does in that, you know, that context of a loving relationship. I think it really helps uh, see the commandments in its proper light. So this is something that, uh, that Jesus also says is important, right? Loving God, that's the first thing. So in today's world, like how do we practice this first commandment? What is the practical way of doing this and putting God first in our life, like seeking him first and everything following up? Um, you know, I think if you asked a hundred different people, you'd get a, a hundred different <laughs> answers to this question. Um, and, you know, and honestly, this is really why I like the answer that the Baltimore Catechism gives. Mm. You know, it, it's very simple and to the point. And what the Catechism says, it says that we practice the first commandment by making acts of faith, hope, and love and by adoring God and praying to him. Mm -hmm. And so let me break that open a little bit. And so as Catholics, we believe that in the sacrament of baptism, not only are we cleansed of original sin, not only do we become adopted sons and daughters of God, not only do we receive the seven sanctifying gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
but we also receive the theological virtues or sometimes called the supernatural virtues of faith, hope, and love. And so as a result of receiving these virtues, we have certain responsibilities when it comes to the worship of God. Like I said before, any relationship has rights and duties. So first, the theological virtue of faith, it requires us to do three things when it comes to the first commandment. Uh, very simply, it requires us to find out what God has revealed. And we primarily know this through sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and through the magisterium. Uh, to firmly believe what he has revealed, and then to profess our faith openly whenever it's necessary. And now the theological virtue of hope, this requires us to firmly trust that God will give us eternal life and also the means of obtaining it. So basically his grace, which we primarily receive through the sacraments. And then finally, the theological virtue of charity compels us to love God above all other things because he alone is infinitely good. And then, like you said, well, what Jesus taught us, to love our neighbor as ourselves for the love of God. So in a nutshell, we worship God by making frequent acts of faith, hope, and love, and by adoring God, which we especially do in Eucharistic adoration and prayer, both prayer of the church and personal prayer as well. So I actually like um, the concept of the, the Baltimore Catechism because that's the first time I've actually seen the commandments, you know, done that way, especially the first commandment. Everybody will just list down um, like things, how we sin against, but they're so particular uh, about these, these, uh, these main virtues and how we, we sin against them. So how do we actually sin against God and, and violate this commandment? Yeah, and that, it's another great question because I agree with you that um, the Baltimore Catechism, a lot of these words that, you know, we see in the Baltimore Catechism, it really, we seldomly hear those words. And so, you know, as I talk about the sins against uh, this commandment, I'm really going to use uh, what the Baltimore Catechism is saying to us. And I'll break down some of these words a little bit. Because, again, like I said, we often don't hear these in use today, or if we do hear them, we're not quite sure what all of them mean. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to set this up the same way that I answered your last question in the context of, you know, the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love when it um, comes to the first commandment. And so we sin against faith in the worship of God by first apostasy. Okay, and this mm -hmm. simply means that when someone completely leaves the church or, um, you know, they, they leave the church to profess a different religion or they, you know, they leave for no religion at all. They become, you know, an atheist. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, so that's apostasy. Um, this heresy. And so what this is, is the obstinate post-baptismal denial of some truth of the faith that we must believe. Or it could even be a stubborn doubt concerning a truth that must be uh, believed. So, you know, rather than submitting and having the attitude of faith, which seeks understanding, someone has the attitude of pride. Mm -hmm. Then there's uh, incredulity. And this simply is the neglect of a revealed truth. You know, not bothering to learn or inquire about the teachings, all the teachings of the church. Or simply the willful refusal to assent to the revealed truth. This schism. And this is the refusal to submit to the Pope or of the communion with the members of the church that are subject to him. Then we have voluntary doubt and involuntary doubt. So just the difference between the two voluntary doubt. This is someone who disregards 
or refuses to hold as true what God has revealed. And then involuntary doubt, this refers to like a hesitation in believing or a, a, a difficulty in overcoming objections connected with the faith. And this, if deliberately is cultivated, this doubt, it actually leads us to spiritual blindness. And then we have atheism, and this is simply rejecting or denying the existence of God, agnosticism, and actually agnosticism, this has a couple of forms. And in certain cases, an agnostic refrains from denying God. Instead, he advances the idea of the existence of a transcendent being which is incapable of revealing itself or that it has no practical impact on our world. So basically, if there is a God, he set the world in motion and now has no other part in it. And then in other cases, the agnostic, um, he makes the judgment about God's, uh, he doesn't make um, a judgment about God's existence at all. Rather, you know, he may declare that his existence is impossible to prove or even to affirm or deny. And so finally, under faith, there's indifferentism. And I know this is a lot. And this is what I mean. Like when I first started reading the catechism, it was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize there was so much to this. And indifferentism, and I think we see this, I, this is probably one of the most common things that we see today. And it's the belief that one religion is as good as another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just the, the, just different ways of worshiping God uh, we often hear. And I think that, I mean, if we think about that, it, it almost seems offensive. But this isn't, you know, something that, you know, I personally hold. I mean, I do. And I hold it because God has actually revealed it. So, it, like, these are the things that God reveals. I, I don't even have that opportunity in myself to really reject that. Or I am basically becoming my own God in this area, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so then, so that was the, um, the sins under that, you know, falls under the category of the theological virtue of, you know, faith. So then we have hope. And in this category, we have like sins of presumption. And there are two kinds of presumption. E- you know, either a man presumes upon his own capabilities you know, which basically means that, you know, a person believes that they're able to save themselves apart from God's grace, or they presume upon God's mercy, basically, you know, presuming on his forgiveness without really um, conversion. So, you know, an example of this, you know, the first type might be a man who either never or hardly ever prays, because he doesn't think he really need, uh, needs God's help. You know, he's strong enough on his own. Mm-hmm. And then the second type would be a man who doesn't carefully avoid committing sin because he presumes on God's mercy, that God will give him the grace necessary for salvation, regardless of, you know, his interior disposition. Mm-hmm. And then finally, under um, this theological virtue of hope, there's despair. And, you know, again, we're seeing this uh, in the world today where, um, you know, we just lose hope. We, you know, refuse to trust that God will give us the necessary grace to save our soul or that, you know, something that we have done uh, is too grievous for God to forgive. And the bottom line is, is that there is no sin that God is not willing to forgive if we but ask for it, right? And then finally, we have the sins against the first commandment that deal with charity. And these really deal with the hatred of God and the hatred of neighbor. And so we have the first one being envy, which is resenting another's success or, you know, wanting um, what they have 
and to see them deprived of it. You know, it's not just simply wanting what somebody has, but wanting what they have and to see them deprived of that thing that we want. And then there's uh, sloth, which is laziness in the things of God. And this can be both spiritual and physical. Mm-hmm. And a spiritual sloth, which, you know, sometimes we refer to as a chadia, it goes so far as to refuse the joy that comes from God and to be repelled by his divine goodness. There's scandal. And so this is just simply setting a bad example, which may leave someone else to either sin or leave the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, we see this happening a lot, unfortunately, in the church by you know, unfortunately, even church leaders, mm. we have the sin of indifference. And this is when someone neglects or refuses to reflect on the things of God in his church. We have uh, ingratitude when we uh, refuse to acknowledge all the blessings that God gives us in our life. And then lukewarmness. And this is a hesitation or uh, negligence on our part uh, in responding to, div- uh, to the divine love. And so this can imply, uh, you know, a refusal to give over oneself to the prompting of charity. And so these are all the sins against the first commandment that have to do with charity. But there's even, a, you know, a couple of additional sins, if you can believe it, against the first commandment. You know, things like sacrilege, when we profane or treat with a lack of respect, you know, either the sacraments or other liturgical actions, you know, or persons, places or things that have been consecrated to God. And then finally, there is superstition. And this is another prevalent one that we, you know, deal with in our society. And this is attributing to a creature or a charm, a power that belongs to God alone. You know, so for example, when people make use of charms or spells or crystals, or put their faith in dreams or fortune tellers or horoscopes, or they go to spiritists, or people who say they can contact the dead or tell the future, This is all superstition and gravely offensive to God and dangerous uh, for that matter as well. So these are all the ways that we sin against the first commandment. I'm sorry for being so long-winded on that, but there was just so much that was really given to us. And when you think back on it, like let's say you're preparing for a confession, this is so much, the first commandment itself, there's so much to sit down and think about it when you actually come to to make your examination, right? It's, It's extensive. Absolutely. I mean, again, I just got tired listing all of that, um, those things. So really sitting down and, you know, and doing a, a really good examination of conscience, you know, what we find through looking at something like that, and really, and the, the best examinations of conscience are ones that really follow the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Usually, we know that, uh, I mean, you know, Jesus says himself, apart from me, you can do nothing. But what happens when we don't follow the first commandment, when we don't love God first? Yeah, this is the practical side of it, right? So what does it have to do? Like what actually happens when we don't do this? And so, you know, first we have to really remember that we were made by God and for God. So essentially what we're really talking about here is that you and I, we were made for worship, right? And if we don't worship God, what's going to inevitably happen is that we're going to worship something or someone else in his Mm -hmm. place, you know, and we see this prevalent in the world today. And, you know, anything that leads our heart away from God, it really becomes an idol for us. And scripture is really clear about how fickle the human heart is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my own experience confirms what scripture is really saying that my heart is pretty fickle and it constantly wants to set up idols for itself if I don't practice my Catholic faith or if I'm not vigilant in guarding my heart. And so 
you know, like your question, what you asked was, you know, maybe what some, uh, what are some of these idols? And so in my life, you know, they've been things like sports or, you know, taking too much time for leisure, you know, giving into my passions or my appetites, Mm -hmm. you know, even my ministry has become an idol at times or even my own will. And so, you know, God knows the human heart. So right from the get-go in the first commandment, he prohibits us from making any graven images because that's what our ancestors did at Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. So God's basically saying, I know what you want to do. You know, you're going to want to turn your heart toward other idols because of your fallen human nature, but don't do this. So this has to be the first thing that we remember, you know, really to root out idols from our heart because our hearts are idol-making factories. And I guess to put this simply, right, to put this simply is that if we don't have worship of God as our first priority, our lives are going to become disordered. Mm -hmm. And where there's disorder, there's chaos, you know, there's discord. But if we have our lives ordered properly, we're with God because he is a God of order. Mm -hmm. And where there's order, there's peace. And so I encourage all your uh, listeners, Pam, that if they want peace in their lives, really make the worship of God their first priority. So let's say now uh, people are listening, they've identified, you know, this is an idol in my life. So now Dennis, what are they gonna do? What are they supposed to do? (laughs) There's different things. So um, we see in the Old Testament that God has the Israelites tear down the the Mm -hmm. idols to smash them, right? But, you know, what does this look like practically? Because, you know, even so, what are some uncommon idols that we deal with? And I I, I think that for everybody, this could be a little different. But maybe one of the ones that we don't really think about is, you know, our relationships, especially with our loved ones, right? We don't smash our loved ones or something like that. What do we need to do in those relationships? We need to order them properly. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I think when I first met my wife and so there might be some listeners right now saying that, you know, how could my husband or my wife uh, really become an idol for me? Mm -hmm. And so I I think when I fell in love with my wife, you know, I wanted to spend all my time with her. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I wasn't with her, I was thinking about her. Mm -hmm. And if we're not careful, sometimes this leads us away from keeping God first. Mm -hmm. And so what did I need to do? I really needed to put God back in the center of my life. I really needed to bring him actually into my relationship with, you know, my wife or my girlfriend at that time. And this actually, it became a really beautiful thing. It made my relationship with Jennifer that much stronger and it ordered our relationship with one another properly. Mm -hmm. And it really brought God into the center of our relationship together and what really led us to get married. You know, and I even noticed this again uh, years later when uh, my daughter hit her teenage years. Mm -hmm. You know, she had become kind of an idol in my life. And for, you know, any of you parents out there, you know that these teenage years can be a little challenging, you know, especially guiding our children to embrace the faith that we've raised them with, you know, to help them live it, apply it to their lives, you know, especially because they're growing up in a time when everything in the world seeks to tear that from them. Well, I had spent so much time worrying about every decision that she was making or not making for that matter, that I almost became consumed by it, right? Mm -hmm. 
And every time she made a bad decision, I let it steal my peace. And I began to notice then that I was really trying to do everything on my own. I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't praying for her or offering my own sacrifices for her. But what I noticed is I really didn't surrender her to God. So in a sense, I wasn't being a parent. I, was, uh, I wasn't really being a parent. I was rather trying to be, you know, God in her life. And so I, finally, I offered a very simple prayer to God. I said, you know, God, she's yours. You just entrusted her to me for a time. I give her back to you. You deal with her. And you know what he did? God handled it. And so this is really what I mean. Some idols need to be rooted out when we're made aware of them or God convicts us of them. And others simply need to be just ordered properly. And our relationship with others, often these simply need to just be ordered properly. And now something that I have found very powerful in my own life is really praying for the intercession of our Blessed Mother, you know, asking her to reveal the hidden idols that we have in our lives. You know, it was through her intercession that I really discovered that my own will had become an idol in my life, you know, really doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. So this might be helpful for your listeners who've already put their spiritual houses in order and they're looking to go deeper and really root out any idols that might uh, they might not be aware of. This is like a lifelong journey, right? Identifying because we are constantly like turning to new new ones as, as we progress. Well, and that's, you know, and that's what I meant by, you know, our hearts, they're like idol making factories. <laughs> if we're not careful, we're, you know, we're always creating new ones, right? <laughs> so... This one last question is, um, and, and we hear this all the time, especially because, uh, you know, people go through such difficult times, even though they've done personally nothing wrong. Does God really want a personal relationship with us? And why? And what does that relationship look like? Sure. And I, I do. I get this question a lot. And absolutely. Uh, and one of my favorite uh, scripture verses comes from uh, John chapter 10. It's when Jesus is saying that, you know, my sheep, know my voice, that I call them by name, that they won't follow the voice of a stranger. And I really love this verse because um, what this means to me is that we can really know Jesus for ourselves, that he wants to intimately know each one of us, and he wants to reveal himself to us, you know, personally, and that he really, he really speaks to us. I mean, we need to take the time, you know, to listen, to really listen in prayer. And where do we primarily learn what his voice sounds like? You know, we do this from reading uh, sacred scripture, most especially the Gospels. But it's when we really read the Gospels, or better yet, when we really pray the Gospels, that we encounter the word made flesh for ourselves. You know, it's in that intimate prayer that we come to know Jesus personally. So each of us, we really need to develop a daily prayer life. And all the saints, they all say that we need at least a half hour, but that all of us should be working up our way to an hour every day. Mm -hmm. And how do they arrive at that? You know, basically a holy hour. Um, well, from the Gospels, right? When Jesus was in the garden during his agony, he says to his disciples, could you not watch for even one hour with me? So each of us need to have and cultivate a daily prayer life. And then I'd say frequent reception of the sacraments. You know, as Catholics, we, we believe that Christ not only instituted the seven sacraments, but he gives himself to us in these sacraments. I mean, what could be more intimate than God giving himself to us body, blood, soul, and divinity? And this is open to everyone, right? This is an offering for everyone. 
So a life rooted in prayer and frequent reception of the sacraments is what a relationship with God looks like to me. And what I receive from this relationship, it spills over into every facet of my life. And no matter what's going on, whether good times or bad, God sustains me through it all. And so the moral of the story is that if we get the first commandment right, you know, our lives are going to become ordered. And this order, it leads to intimacy with God and a sure hope to be with him forever in heaven. And the things that happen in life, you know, the, the disappointments, the heartbreaks, the trials, we can then see all of these through the eyes of faith, that God orders all things in our lives for our salvation. Mm-hmm. And I really believe this, you know, it's what I staked my life on. So yes, God absolutely wants a relationship with every one of us. No one's excluded from this, you know, even, um, I'm not sure if it was um, Paul um, who said in one of the letters that, you know, God wants the salvation of all, right? And so no one's excluded uh, from this. And, and, and scripture does say, right, seek first the kingdom of God and everything will be added unto you. Unfortunately, Amen. we don't remember that too often. <laughs> Well, and I I think, you know, again, and this is something that we do have to remember that, you know, we always have three enemies, right? We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so when we look at that, this constant, you know, enemies that we really need to guard ourselves Mm -hmm. against. And um, Peter that says, you know, the devil is a prowling lion Mm -hmm. seeking to destroy our souls. Mm -hmm. And so we really have to be mindful of these things, be vigilant and really guard, uh, you know, guard our faith. So Dennis, do you have any last words on the first commandment? Any last tips? Any, any advice? Well, I think is really being, you know, to be mindful of the order of our lives. Are our lives really ordered? And the first commandment is the first commandment for a reason, right? The first three commandments deal with our relationship with God. And then the uh, re- the second seven there deal with our relationship with our neighbor. And so mm-hmm. it's putting first things first. Mm-hmm. And so it might be as simple as starting our days with a morning offering. Mm-hmm. Um, being mindful of God's presence throughout the day, um, taking time maybe in you know midday to offer another prayer, and then you know doing a good examination of conscience, uh, you know before bedtime, and really you know thanking God uh, where you know we recognize His presence uh, in our day, and really asking for forgiveness for the times where you know we fail throughout the day, and being merciful to ourselves because I think sometimes. We are often our, um, you know, most critical judges rather than, you know, taking it to God. And, you know, and I think even in our failures, it shows us just how much we need God's grace in our lives. So if people want to uh, read the Baltimore Catechism, do they have to, uh, can they buy this book somewhere or can they uh, access it online? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's PDF files um, online of the, the Baltimore Catechism. We actually use uh, our parish, we use the, the New St. Joseph Baltimore Catechism, and we use uh, number two, which I find is great for children, young people, and adults. It's got uh, great pictures. It's got, you know, all kinds of good information in there, and they can get that Amazon or, you know, any Catholic bookstore. And so, yeah, they could get it pretty much anywhere right now. Okay. And if people want to get in touch with you or read more about you and your work, where can they find you online? Yeah, they can uh, find us online. So we have uh, uh, stphilip.com is our parish website and uh, the Religious uh, Education Office 
it, all the contact information is there, the email address, the uh, telephone number, they, uh, that will come right to me. And also we do have a parish YouTube channel and Pamela, that's where you saw yes. uh, so what I was doing. We're actually last year, uh, one of the ideas that I had during you know the quarantine was to just take up and begin to go through the Baltimore Catechism. And this is actually our primary faith formation um, program that we do uh, in all of these videos. They're free, they're online, they're open to the public. And this year we started going through the 92 Catechism and we're starting the year, we're spending a whole year on prayer this year. So I welcome uh, anybody out there to go check out what we're doing. And this is the beautiful thing of ministry, right? You sow a seed, you don't know how it's gonna grow, but then suddenly a year later, and then somehow God uses it. And, and that's Maybe. how I found you because I was, I was searching for somebody who would talk about the first commandment. I was like, I couldn't find anyone until I, I found something on YouTube. And I said, let me just listen to this guy. <laughs> and that's how I ended up well, inviting <laughs> You know, it's funny. And how I ended up doing something like this on the Baltimore Catechism is that I knew the Baltimore Catechism was something that a lot of people use in homeschools. And so I went out there searching, is there anybody doing any videos? Um, you know, I go to YouTube for everything, whether it's fixing a, when my dishwasher broke to learning how to uh, do an oil change or something like that. I said, let me turn to YouTube and see if anybody's doing the Baltimore Catechism because I really wanted to go back to the basics, uh, mm -hmm. the simple things that, you know, our faith teaches. And there was really nothing out there. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do one. And so between uh, myself, um, my assistant at the time, who is now our, um, our elementary and middle school principal, and our youth minister, we put these uh, Baltimore Catechism videos online. And we did uh, a lesson a week for 52 weeks, because some of the lessons were quite long. So we broke them up into pieces. But yeah, that same idea, kind of looking to see what was out there and not seeing something and then just deciding to do it. And, you know, filling a need, I guess. God is amazing when he does these things. Absolutely. Well, so God bless your ministry, Dennis. And I thank you so much for saying yes and for coming to our podcast and talking to all of us about the first commandment. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation, Pamela. And thank you for all the work uh, your ministry is doing as well. Mm -hmm.